0: Welcome to a very special and bittersweet episode of Time to Say Goodbye. As teased last week, this is Andy's last episode before he... I don't know what Andy... and he's gonna go back and do peer reviews and <laughs> teach classes and
1: yeah. do archival research.
0: Whatever it is that the... Academic, modern academic, does yell at freelance journalists.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, it's cons- a full-time job. Tweet. I need to tweet.
1: Yeah, tweet at journalists
2: more.
0: Tweet seven thousand <laughs> times a day. Um, get Threats, mad. Yeah. What else Long do academics do? Uh You know, tweet about COVID. Yeah. Feel beleaguered. Right. I'm so. T- there's <laughs> Andy's entire Twitter feed is going to be. I'm so tired. You know um like, <laughs> about, i'm tired <laughs> of pwis and
2: i'm so tired of being disrespected
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i'm tired People stealing my work can we, <laughs> I, the, the tired thing is like i just don't get it tammy can you <laughs> back up from the mic a time yeah bit? yeah um you don't emphasize <laughs> of being tired i don't know man i work a lot you know i have several jobs and I've never thought to say, I'm so tired. I'm just like, well, I am kind of overworked, but I don't know. Maybe it's the Asian thing. Yeah. Um, which is an amazing segue. <laughs>
2: yeah, I was going to say, are you?
0: So we said this last week that we all asked Andy what he wanted to talk about for his final episode. And he said, I want to talk about Tiger Hymn of the Battle or Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother by Amy Chua. What a choice. Which none of us had read before. Have you, well, you you said you had it?
1: read it like a week ago beforehand right
0: yeah, I mean, I've read a lot of it because I was writing a book review that was somewhat connected oh, yeah. to it right? okay but um, okay, so we're gonna talk about this book, and we're gonna try and talk about it in a civil in a civil way. I don't we know are... um. Well, no, you can say whatever you want, yeah. Cammy. All right, so yeah. let's go through our let's go through our first responses, right? This is gonna be the most structured show we've ever had. All right, first impressions <laughs> of Tiger on the Battle Hymn of the Tiger Him Mother.
2: The
1: I'll just say well oh, say. Andy. Why did you, you can do this first. to us,
2: Andy? <laughs> I know.
0: Yeah, you can so talk first. So I read Andy. this
1: I read this ten years ago. Um I think it came out in 2011, 2012. So not long nine, after. Right? Uh well whatever, like over ten anyway, years ago. So I didn't read it when it came out. I read <laughs> it shortly after it came out. It was still kind of a phenomenon. Um, not like a seriously, but just to kind of like read some bullshit um that was in the news. I thought it was interesting back then, so it wasn't you know, and you know, far from having a kid at the time. So I wasn't reading it as a parenting book. This book is basically sold or it's being pitched as a parenting book. Uh, and now rereading it. I think so I think it's interesting you know regardless of one's station in life and family situation I think it's just like an interesting look into the way like one person but also I think like society US society thinks about this Asian what Asianness is and Asian versus western this or that I but you know we could also have this you know another conversation about like reading it as a parent I actually you know for all her for all the stuff we can disagree with her about, there is a part of me that gets where she's coming from with a lot of her uh, parent talk. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I couldn't Hamm- hear
2: you for a minute, but okay. I can now. Yeah, Hamm- so okay. We can, what what we'll talk your... about
1: that secondly, but I think more generally is the premise of like there's an Asian way of doing stuff in general versus uh what she calls a Western way. And we can obviously like jump all over and criticize it, but I actually I still think there's something interesting going on because this was a bestseller. Everyone has heard of it Um, when I I taught it to my students a little bit. And I remember one student, I think it's Mexican. He's from LA and he said like his mom loved it and uh, like all the Latino parents like wanted to become tiger parents after reading the book. So there's something interesting going on, I think, with the book and its cultural resonance. Okay.
0: Tammy, what are your
1: thoughts?
2: I found this to be a completely morally repugnant experience (laughs) and actually really resented having to waste my time (laughs) on that this week.
0: (laughs) Did you read the whole book?
2: I read, I read like 90% of this book and I found it to be, it basically has the literary and like emotional depth of a stone.
1: Uh
2: Um, Also it is extremely, I mean, it's, I think it's popular in the same way that like Guns, Germs and Steel is popular because it's like a civilizational, you know, Mm -hmm. screed and it has like incredibly offensive language against like people who are like gender nonconforming, fat, not asian right. like failures like losers like it, it it's also an incredibly troubling book around like music like if you are like i you know i, you, I think right. i might have told you guys i used to want to be an ethnomusicologist the way that it structures like critique no the, you've like, never told us
0: that what is a music ethnocologist ethno- <laughs> yeah, i think it's <laughs> right? what like
2: is, as
1: a phd kind of thing what's an well, ethnomusicologist in, in
2: 2016 i actually co-wrote a book with a yale a right. musicologist called michael veal and it was a profession i wanted to pursue it's the study of like music as culture like musical mm-hmm. cultures oh. and like western classical music is its own musical culture but in amy Chua's is like extremely like in a sense colonized mind although she's putting herself as an avatar right. of like the right. asian right. right she's actually completely obsessed with and has internalized the supremacy of like western classical music as, right. as some sort of like transformative discipline blah 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 anyway. that's very asian isn't it <laughs> Well, now it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that also is its own like cultural artifact. But anyway, I just yeah. found so every page was horrible, dripping with like <laughs> disdain for humanity. Okay. Well, I feel bad. You now, know, it's awful. Oh, anyway, but <laughs> I'm happy to get into the sort of like parenting critiques and what you found interesting. Like, no, yes, no, it obviously to, is let's not talk about the, the pa- Let's
0: talk about the parenting thing in a little bit. Sure. Yeah. I sure I at some point, like, I'm not a
2: parent, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was arguably raised part. by a tiger parent. But anyway, yeah. That's my initial reaction. Yeah, totally.
0: My, okay, so I had a few reactions to it. The first is that like, Tammy, I agreed with you. I think that this book is quite insipid and I find I found it to be like vaguely offensive. And I, the reason why I found it to be vaguely offensive wasn't because, also Tammy, you should back up even a little bit more from your microphone. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, I'm like yelling about that, the book. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, I think it's actually maybe, you know, maybe you should, uh, you know, be a little bit more like, across the room (laughs) who's the meek who's the meek I guess they're neither particularly meek daughters but like um
1: (laughs) oh Lulu and Sophia yeah
0: I don't know so the first thing that I sort of took away from this book was that like and we discussed this a little bit before the show which is that I don't I think that Amy Chua like the first thing is that in her defense I think that this some of this book is written kind of like tongue-in-cheek a little bit right like there's like a she's playing it up in a way that is a little bit knowing and that I think we should give her credit for that, right? But the second thing is (laughs) that like, the reason why she's doing that is because she's cosplaying an Asian parent, right? Like she's not really an Asian parent because she's not an immigrant, right? Right. Which is actually pointed out in a conversation that she has with like some like white Yale person or whatever, where where she's like screams at her daughter and she's like, oh, you wouldn't get it. It's just like an Asian immigrant thing. And the person points that you're not an Asian immigrant. Yeah. and like That's like the central tension that I had reading this book where yeah. I was just like, why sure. am I re- like I went through Asian parent immigrant parenting. We all did. Right. Right. Um, most of the listeners to this show went through a lot of some form of that type of thing, even if they're not Asian. Right. Like they 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 might be immigrants of other types. We have, you know, like it's like you said, Andy, like you're a Mexican-American L.A. student, right, talking about how this is. This is an what she's describing is like immigrant yeah. precarity, and as it's sort of strung out through different forms of meritocracy, right? Yeah. But like, she doesn't feel that precarity because she's rich, you know. And so, so then rich. what? So so then what is the thing that she's created? She's created a cosplay of Asian parenting, and does she, is she aware of that? Yes, I think she is aware of that, Definitely. you know. And like so, the book is a very specific thing. It's like, how is a second generation person going to try and impart the tiger parenting that she received onto her children in a way that, you know, is like so involves such a deep misunderstanding of what that tiger parenting <laughs> came from and uh-huh. the tiger parenting itself, that it does kind of manifest itself in like a form of mild child abuse, you know, like where for it's sure. just <laughs> like, you don't have to be doing this. Like, there's no justification for why you have to be. Parenting in this type of way, you're just doing it because you want to do it, right? Like, there, you don't feel any like, oh, if you don't, if you're not good at violin, if you don't learn to practice things, if you don't do well academically, you're gonna end up in the gutter, you know? Like, no, but she addresses
2: America- that. What she I, I wonder what you think about that in the beginning because she says, like, the first generation comes and struggles, the right. second generation, right? right, right, right. We're gonna talk about that in a second, second. yeah. So, okay, I was right, just, right, I mean, that's her defense, but it's ridiculous.
0: Right. Well, I think like that, that her is- general. I think the way that she describes it is correct, you know, uh, but I don't know.
1: Yeah. I, I found it compelling and plausible.
2: You guys, if you're watching, your kids like waste Eddie, their entire day on video up. games. Eddie,
0: you have to back up for the microphone too. Um, the, the, I, I don't, I, so I, let's talk about that first thing, right? Which is like, do we actually think Amy Chua is a tiger mom or is she a fake tiger mom? Because I think she's such a fake tiger. She doesn't really like she grew up in El Cerrito, you know, she was like a, (laughs) she was like a hippie. She was like the most assimilated style of like, uh, also she's like, you know, like her age too, is part of this, right? Like she's uh, of an older generation than most people who came post 1965. Yeah. Right. So like, she's, she's just like this weird artifact in the way that like Andrew Yang is this sort of like artifact. Now I'm not saying that in a pejorative way, it's not their fault in any sort of way. Right. But like it is like somebody kind of read redist- red- who has almost no connection, I think to Chinese culture sort of making this like weird thing about it. That's like totally constructed. Now I found that to be very interesting. Yeah.
1: Okay. So <laughs> I, I don't, I'm, I'm going to walk a tightrope on this, right? Cause I, I think a lot of what you're saying is correct. And she gives away she gives it away in the very first pages where she says she's talked to, I wrote this down, uh, other parents who are Korean, well, I guess that's Asian, Indian, Jamaican, Irish, Ghanaian right. from Ghana, who are also quote unquote tiger parents. So she says at the very beginning, it's not necessarily Asian. And then she also has this, what I thought was like an outrageously bad misreading of statistics where she talks about Chinese versus Western parenting. But the survey she's quoting is like all about Chinese American parents. Meaning, there it's a very small like selection of Asian parents, right? Like only the ones who actually came to the United States through you know all the all the immigration you know paths we've discussed, which is a small slice of Asia or China or whatever, right? On the other hand, I do think that her story is actually kind of emblematic. Her family story is kind of emblematic of a larger pattern of migration. You mentioned 1965 J, which is like obviously we've talked about on this show. Um, I was reading this book alongside another book by Madeline Hsu, a historian at UT Austin, who was making the argument 65 is the culmination of this pattern that predated 65 of selective migration for skilled visas. And and that's, I think, where she fits in. Her dad was an engineer who came to MIT in 1960, so right before 65, and was definitely part of that precedent of the United States letting in Asian immigrants who are skilled and are you know, coming for engineering degrees and have college degrees and so on. So I actually kind of think she's, even though she's not a post 65 immigrant, I think she is of that stream.
0: Right. But she's that the numbers of people who came over there
1: at that point were much smaller, you know? Sure. But well, so the question is like, well, what are we getting at with this? I think it's more about she like a lot of post 65 immigrants or comes from a family that is of a certain i don't want to necessarily like say like upper class but like of a certain professionalizing oh yeah yeah
0: yeah she's right? definitely like H one h1b visa baby right right, right. now but she just is like a her timeline is skewed a 20 little years yeah. earlier than than ours is which i actually you know in a bad way i find myself you know like not taking that's where I. that's what i'm saying i'm just like you sort of grew up in like to her, I want to be like you want right. you grew up in this context that I think w- was very difficult for you because you're really one of the only Asian people anywhere. Right. Um, unless you went to like San Francisco, or New York City or something like that. Right. Where even then, like the numbers are not what they are today or were pro 65. But um, and like because of that, you don't really have. Like what you're saying about Chinese and Asian parents is not really all that relevant to like actual Chinese and Asian parents, I don't know, but it's weird, okay, Tammy, here's yeah. a question for you, right? Who do you think like and I think this is like I don't think this is always a fair question, but like, who's this book written for white people, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, mean, I can't think of an Asian a Asian book that was more written for white people. I than think it's book. no, I think okay. it's
1: also for Asian Americans
0: who no 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 okay but tell no you, give your no. thought on this what, what like why why do you think it's written for white people i
2: think we are reading it incidentally but it is definitely for a white reading public it is for a white reading public that wants to that first of all is maybe like her husband you know right. that is Go like ahead. in this kind of like overachieving extremely you know high end sort of like market um that where they are sort of adjacent to a lot of like Asianness and kind of like want to understand what this means Um, But they need it to be radically, like, filtered and distilled through this person who is, like, already inhabiting that environment.
0: Right. Right.
2: That's what I think. I think think the fact that we're reading it as, like, Asian Americans is completely incidental to them overall project. I agree.
0: Because, you know what, like, the small resentments of, like, being like, oh, you're not even post-65, you know, like, you're one of these (laughs) bougie, like, pre-65 Uh, you know, MIT babies like that's a very Asian response to this book that ninety nine percent of the readership will not pick up on, and actually maybe even ninety five percent of Asians won't do. But you know, whatever. Like the pettiness on this podcast is unparalleled (laughs) at this point. I I
1: I think it's for obviously it's for white people in the sense that any bestseller in the US has to be for white people, right? But Yeah, but you don't write Um, a book being like,
0: I'm going to write a book. I think it's for, I think it's for
1: other other Asian Americans, especially ones who are beginning to have children and think about like, um, you know, they spent all their life running away from their parents' parenting habits. And now that uh, they're older and they think about, uh, should I do things like, you know, what what Amy calls the Western way or the Asian way? Should I also Um,
2: physically abuse my children?
1: Right, exactly. Well, yeah, but you know. (laughs) I think a lot of Asian Americans would read this book just the way like they all read. Like a lot of Asian Americans would read like Joy Luck Club or Woman, oh, then, like, no, so you, Woman those, Warrior. Oh, come on. This is so different than Woman Warrior. How dare you? I'm not talking about liter- literary quality. I'm talking about an accessible way to access the culture of your parents. When, but this is,
0: isn't the culture of her parents though, right? Like. The part about her she's parents. It, sure. Yeah. The part about her parents is extremely short in the book, and actually, almost like, you know, like it's like a crime of omission where she doesn't really talk about her own upbringing that much, right? Right. right. Like she doesn't bring up. I was I was excited to read all about El Cerrito, you know, because she's <laughs> from like the town very just north of right. Berkeley, because um, I think her dad was teaching her dad at Cal was a or something, at- right? Yeah. Cal, right. and- yeah. Um, I found some like old yearbook photos of Amy Chua at El Cerrito High School and she looked cool, you know, (laughs) she had like big hair and she was like, she looked cool. And I was like, I was like, I think there probably was a period of Amy Chua's life where she was cool, you know? And I, the reason why I think that is because of that part, Tammy, that you and I were talking about where there is this knowing wink in this book, you know, where she's just like, where like, and there is like kind of a way that she is a troll, i just think all right like i kind of think that this person at least has like a sense of humor definitely you know like she's like and some of the book is kind of funny you know but like yeah, all right the problem is that there are all these statements like this i'm going to read from the book which is like this is about her and her husband getting married she was like the deal jed and i struck when we got married was that our children would speak mandarin chinese and be raised jewish i was brought up catholic but that was easy to give up catholicism has barely any roots in my family but more of that later in retrospect, this was a kind of funny deal because I myself don't speak Mandarin. My native dialect is Hokkien Chinese. And Jed is not religion in the, religious in the least. But the arrangement somehow worked. I hired a Chinese nanny to speak Mandarin constantly to Sophia, and we celebrated our first Hanukkah when Sophia was two months old. As Sophia got older, it seemed like she got the best of both cultures. She was probing and questioning from the Jewish side. And for me, the Chinese side, she got skills. Lots of skills. <laughs> Like that type of stuff, I don't know how to read out how ironic I read that, you know, because it's just like, okay. She's pretty like, funny. You know? I think she's exaggerating
2: well, a lot of she these things comic yeah. humor,
1: comic effect. And like
2: in the afterword of the 2011 edition, she talks about going on these talk shows where people were like grilling her. <laughs> and she's like, guys, this is a joke. Like, I'm making so fun of myself. This is a parodic right. memoir, like blah, blah, blah. But also she wants to have it both ways, you know. I, right,
0: right. Well, that's what I mean. There is a cultural essentialism here that I do think is kind of winking. And yet at the same time, I think she also believes it, you know, <laughs> yeah. and like, and like, I just find that to be like broadly offensive. Right. My, like
1: a- I, I just, sorry, my AC thing is turning on. Um, I just, I just remembered one of my kind of original impetuses to reading it is when it came out, I was hanging out with a friend of mine in Seattle. One of my like best friends, you know, we're like leftist hipster, whatever. Right. And he was like, have you heard about this Amy Schwab book? the stories she tells are horrible. And she basically asked me to denounce it. Right. And say like, as a Chinese guy to say, like, you can't do this <laughs> to your children. You can't force your children to like play violin and memorize math or whatever. And like my immediate reaction was like, <laughs> like like I was defensive. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I don't think you understand like some of the stuff I thought worked in my childhood and I, I would be happy to do with my own children. And so there was a sort of insiderness I think that I feel towards the book. And I think I mean, I guess you two don't, but I think a lot of our listeners are, would kind of feel defensive. Well, I don't know. And, I mean, and I would like,
0: say that that message can be expressed better through different people. Sure. So but we, I'm just saying, don't... like,
1: the way that, the, regarding that reaction to Amy Tra's book and how all the, mm-hmm. the general audience is like, you can't raise your children in this way, blah, blah, blah. I oh, think you mean generally. Of, I yeah. think there are a lot of Asian Americans who are like, you know, deep down secretly, maybe they don't want to say this to their white friends or the non white non Asian friends. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, yeah. like
0: <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm kind of there too, but I you know, I still really dislike yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, still yeah. really dislike this book because um I just didn't I honestly like the biggest problem I had was just this like cosplay element of it and also just like the kind of like I don't know, I the massive the Uh, it's like I don't I I think it is a good document in this specific type of person right Right. like and we know many of these people right sort of like wealthy Asian American assimilated people who are trying to access their home culture through a certain type of thing that is both parodic and as you said Andy and also like cosplay in a way right like that's sort of the Asian American experience in a lot of ways for Mm -hmm. the second generation But I just found this one to be kind of (laughs) boring. Sure. Like it was like uninteresting to me. And like the, I don't know. Let's talk about her, Tammy, I want to get your sense on this generational decline question. Her one interesting thesis in this, right? And I don't think it's just her thesis, but there is a thesis. And this is what I was writing about in this book review I'm doing right now. Is that like, uh, and I'll read from the book. She says, this is chapter five on generational decline. One of my greatest fears is family decline. There's an old Chinese saying that prosperity can never last for three generations. I'll bet that if someone with empirical skills conducted a longitudinal survey about intergenerational performance, they'd find a remarkably common uh, pattern among Chinese immigrants fortunate enough to have come to the United States as graduate students or skilled uh, workers over the last 50 years. The pattern would go something like this. The immigrant generation, like my parents, is the hardest working. Many have started off in the United States, almost penniless, but they will work nonstop until they become successful engineers, scientists, doctors, academic and business people, blah, blah, blah. The next generation, mine. The first to be born in America will be typically high achieving. They will usually play the piano and or violin. They will attend an Ivy League or top 10 university. They will tend to be professionals, lawyers, doctors, bankers, television anchors. Television anchors.
1: That's funny, right? It's
0: funny. Not out the candy chuck Yeah, no, it's funny. And surpass <laughs> their parents in income money. And because their parents invested so much in them, they will be less frugal than their parents. They'll enjoy cocktails. If they're fam- famous, they will often marry a white person. Whether male or female, they will not be as strict with their children as their parents were with them. The next generation, Sophia and Lulu, that's her children, is the one I spend nights lying awake worrying about. Because of the hard work of their parents and grandparents, this generation will be born into the great comforts of the upper middle class. Even as children, they will own many hardcover books. They will have wealthy friends who get paid for B pluses. They may or may not attend private schools, but in either case, they will expect great expensive brand name clothes um finally and most problematically i don't know how to flip the pages of this book okay anyway it doesn't matter i don't need to so, um yeah right okay tammy what do you think what <laughs> so, do you think about this grand theory? I definitely
2: so i did chuckle during that section because obviously it does describe some of me t- very well <laughs> and very precisely <laughs> my parents didn't come on skilled visas and like they you know they didn't have they weren't going to school and stuff like that. So they're like a little bit different than I think her parents' class, obviously, but, in, but they still like adhered to the pattern of raising right. me in this particular way. Right. Um. So I, I found this to be, I, while I understand what she's saying, I find it to be, I guess the question I was asking is like, what is it that parents like you two or her want out of their children? And why does it have to look so much like this? Because I guess like, my parents used to say, like, oh, like you can be a philosopher or an artist. You, your kids can be like a philosopher or artist. Like, right. that's like what the first generation yeah. always says to the second generation, right? But like, you are not allowed to do that. But I guess, like, and so I always thought, like, oh, if I have kids, like that'll be great that I can release them to be drummers or artists or whatever the fuck that they want to do. And she sees that as a failure. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I had. When I was younger, I had seen that as a success, that actually like unleashing that, having that freedom in the third generation is so beautiful.
0: Right, right, right. You can, so, uh, so it's very,
2: it's troubling to me that she has these incredibly sort of capitalized values around like what exactly her children need to be. And of course, we can worry about our children surviving in this awful economy and with the death of the right, earth. And right, there's so right. many reasons to worry about the next generation, but it just seems like it, she has such an like impoverished imagination. Yeah. So, what was (laughs) all of that education and money and high, you know, high profile living for? It it just seems sad.
0: She also like is bought into fully the idea of like inevitable American progress, right? That you know wealth will grow and that totally that your kids will be less more accepted into America than you were, et cetera, et cetera, which is basically the narrative of the 80s and 90s where she sort of grew up so i don't know like i don't fault her for thinking that way not thinking that way but certainly things are much more up in the air right now as you know than than they were for this okay yeah yeah i mean what do you think about this theory
1: yeah i mean this might reveal too much about my family but um i yeah i think a lot of asians it's, it's a very asian characteristic to believe in the story of progress and coming to America and moving upwards. It's not, it's not just about, you know, being brainwashed or colonized or whatever. I think it is actually like a lot of people in Asia and Asian Americans do think this way. And it's actually worth thinking about. I'm not saying it's good or bad, right? Uh, Obviously you can probably tell. I don't think it's great. Right. But I do think it's like, it's the thing that's worth thinking about. And like, well, why, why do so many of this particular kind of selection of immigrants from Asia and other parts of the world kind of believe so heartily uh, in this. So like Jay, when you were earlier talking about, you know, you find her kind of like cosplaying or almost like being a fake Asian, right? That's kind of like her thesis, right? I agree, like a lot of what she says is like fake, right? Like it's like, this isn't actually what Chinese people do. Plenty of people in China don't act this way. Um, But I still feel like there's something she's getting from her parents that is real. She's misrecognizing it or calling it Chinese or Asian, right? But the thing that's kind of worth paying attention to is like, you know, obviously what she's misrecognizing what she's calling Asian and culture is like a class attitude and a a specific attitude about class mobility of immigrants coming to the U S treating our children as almost like human capital, where you put in all these investments into them, hoping that they will pay off in the end, you know, being not necessarily like, you know, with huge dividends, but like more dividends than a struggling artist, you know, or something like something that they can't fathom as, as something that's worth um, as worth like investing into. And I think that's really fascinating because I actually think like that's how most, Asians, Asian Americans, like, or just like in general, like, conversations about race and culture, not just about Asians, but like about all groups, right? Um, You can think of counter examples or like, people are talking in terms of racial and class difference or racial and ethnic differences, but they're really talking about class differences uh, a lot of times, right? Right. right. I I mean, right. This what she's doing is she's describing
0: like a pattern of upward mobility for every immigrant group that has come to the united states you know including the irish italians jews you know asians people from west africa you know she mentions nigeria ghana right um you know like there's there's there is a pattern and a trajectory that she is aptly describing in a very cursory and kind of funny way here that is true you know it's why tony soprano is so disappointed with AJ, right? <laughs> no, I'm serious, right? Like, like there is like a, he's like, yeah. like what happened to this kid? Where like, is this I did bride? this for you.
2: Right, then. right. Here and you are.
0: Like, you, yeah. You have this car, you live in this house. I hate you. You know, <laughs> this thing that all this stuff that I built, right? Like that's sort of the, that is the immigrant narrative throughout all of this, right? It's also, you also see it in the Godfather. You see it in basically any type of, which, you know, these are immigrant films, right? Like, especially the Godfather. Right. And so, um you know like there's this is not an asian thing in my opinion that she's describing she's describing basically the angst of the second generation who made it right and the idea of whether or not the precarity that defined their lives will that they think helped def- make them who they were right whether or not their children will experience that and whether their kids will be soft right for lack of a better word
2: no that's all it is it's like are my kids gonna be soft and
0: that's not an asian thing right and the way that she constructs it as being this chinese specifically thing i just think is stupid you know i'm just like you're like what why because like you're Telling a kid to play the violin, like you right. think, a, you think Asians are only, like basically Asians, Asians do play more violin than other races, but like <laughs> other races have their own version. In our scientific study,
1: time. well, okay, so this is <laughs> yeah, well, this there are a lot, lot of Asians who play the violin. <laughs> when you say it's not Asian, you're right; it's obviously not unique to Asians. But would you say among Asians, this behavior, this is a thing? It's not
2: random,
0: right? right? Because most Asians came post 1965, right, right. right? And but so like you
2: guys also just uh, grow up with Asian families who were just okay getting by? Like, I feel like I had so many friends who were their parents had like a dry cleaner or a grocery. They were barely making it. The kids were like, okay, if they didn't like go to prison, like they were basically right. just kind of skating by trying to survive, right. going to high school, like living a life they might inherit right. their parents store. And like, that also is like a kind of existence that is very common. in asian america and i don't think we should it's not just like that there where everyone's going to harvard and you know so i think
1: i think it's very weird to
2: be so reductive about it yeah but you know i i just think there are many different ways of envisioning a good life for your kid and she makes she imparts this feeling that it is so specifically cultural that it is somehow inevitable and it just isn't
0: yeah well the other thing that happens and this is where i do kind of like sympathize with her somewhat right which is that like this idea that your child will become like a soft dilettante who, you know, plays in a band and is living with you when they're 25, and then you send them, you know, they're like, oh, you know what I really want to do is I want to write a book about like Machu Picchu or something, and then you pay for them to go do that, right? <laughs> when you are, my parents have no exposure to people like that, you know? Well, maybe they do now because of now they,
2: they do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but like when, when yeah. we were
0: growing up, we had no exposure yeah. to people like that, you know? I have a lot of exposure to people like that. You know, in fact, it's most of the people I know. Right? Asian Americans? Like no, not Asian Americans, <laughs> like rich white people, right? right, right like okay. in media, right? right. And so, so what like, about, know, among Asians. tons of private school kids, right? Who are like, who are doing some form of dilettantism, right? Um, and, you know. I think that those people are very unhappy as a general class, you know, as a general group of people. And so that's also part of it. And I wish that she had sort of discussed that a little bit more. With so you her. agree with
1: her that the, for me, the individualist fear is, Western culture is unsatisfying. The, well, no,
0: for me, the I the 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 general fear is that like if you have I agree with her that if you grow up in this life where everything is given to you and you're sort of mm-hmm. encouraged to be like quote unquote creative, right? Or like follow your follow your dreams in life the vast majority of people don't have creative talent nor do they have particularly specific dreams in life you know and so like a lot of the kids would be better off if they were just said hey go be a doctor you'll make enough money to you'll make a lot of money and it's a satisfying job but it's going to require you to like try really hard for a short period of time in your life right which is like what eight years or something like that and then at the end of it, you're going to have this great career. You're going to be a happy person. You know, it's better than sort of spending 15 years trying to find yourself. Right. And in the end, you might realize that you have nothing to find. Right. And then you're kind of like, you know, living off of your rich parents and that you're extremely unhappy. Now that's a real anxiety. Right. Yeah. And like, that's the thing that I think that I at least feel right um, as a parent. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay. well, I just want there to be some struggle. So this child um, will at least have some, like, grit to use another, (laughs) to quote another problematic book about parenting. (laughs) Um, Now, I, but I don't think that's Asian at all. Like, I really don't. I think that, like, poor white people who make it out of being poor and white probably feel the same. They're probably worse about it, you know, because because they can just, like, kind of, they can cling to, like, kind of white, white cultural things. Like, you got to be tough, you know, you got to, You got to work for what you get. I don't know. Like, so I I don't really see the Asian part of any of this.
1: I think it is um, taking, well, obviously she's at the top of the social pyramid and looking down and projecting outwards, like her own particular experience at the top. Right. So I agree. Mm -hmm, Like this isn't, this isn't, this is selective and, and, you know, confirmation bias and all that. I do think though, that what she is saying resonates with, again, a kind of particular slice. Of immigrants from asia not asians right in asia itself but of immigrant experience from asia um i like i i like i agree like if you want to push things to the boundary there's nothing uniquely asian there's nothing uniquely cultural this is mostly an economic social phenomenon i still feel like there's some resonance for not everyone but you know certainly for me like reading this book coming from somewhat from some similar background as her and I actually, I like your thesis, Jay, that this book is actually much more of a document of a second generation Asian American trying to find the balance between their parents' parenting and their childhood and, like, this world of, like, creative, liberal arts, whatever, that she's been exposed to and trying to figure out, like, um, I mean, she's gone in one extreme, obviously. That's, that's like, really mm-hmm. unsavory to to the three of us, but... It sounds like you know all three of us kind of go through this. Um, yeah, my
0: right? issue with her is not is uh, is that like she. My issue with her is that she is immersed in this world, and she doesn't hate it. You know, doesn't hate what Yale? Like, she doesn't hate the world of like Yale cocktail it. parties and like sure, but like you know. going to whatever the place she goes to in the book. What's that? She goes somewhere in Europe, right? Um, with the kids and sort of being wind and dying concert in
2: Budapest,
0: right. And being this like kind of cultural, (laughs) cultural figure at Yale law school, which is just like the biggest collection of narcissist sociopaths in america right mm-hmm. um except
2: for our previous guest kate
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right that's right With like i'm gonna say about four exceptions the other three you know who you are exactly. i apologize <laughs> but like
2: um
0: <laughs> but actually but they would also say that about you know, right, last totally. right. Totally. and so like you're in this space you're surrounded by all this sort of like white wealth and privilege and like you your main goal in life is to make sure that your kids are just like you so they make it to that place too right like that's the thesis i fucking hate that thesis you know and i don't think that that part is ironic you know like i actually think that that y'all. is like i think that is basically her thing and the thing i do blame her for is that she doesn't look around and be like this is a bunch of private school like nonsense that and, and kids who aren't that smart people who aren't that creative or interesting they just have every connection in the world right and they're up here looking down on the world and like scratching their chins. And I hate every single one of them. That's my experience in life, you know, like, uh, and I think it should be everybody's experience in life because these people are fucking awful, you know, and she, she loves them, you know, and she wants she thinks, her.
2: She truly believes every single person around her has earned their place. Right.
1: Right. right. But and her, are- her,
2: her both of her kids just graduated from Harvard law school. Her daughter, do- older daughter is clerking for Kavanaugh famously. Right. 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 Um, Right. I yeah. mean, this is a very, this is like a morally problematic universe.
1: It's a, yeah, no, it's a, it's kind of a, kind of an evil family. But the experience that we're <laughs> yeah, all talking like, about but... though is like we, all of us, to some degree, right, more or less, certainly not to the degree that Amy, right, has kind of come face-to-face with this world, right? and then No,
0: I've come close, face-to-face with it as much as Amy. And exactly, So has, yeah, right. so has and Tammy. Ben- we've all
2: benefited yeah. from it. We've all right, benefited right. from exactly. it. But I think we can also judge it, and she can't. Right. No,
1: that's totally yeah, fine. She can't. But I'm just saying, like, like, there's like a seven, I don't know what the percentage is, like some 60 50% overlap, right, between this world of, like, in your teens and twenties, push upwards, push upwards, push upwards. And then at some point, you know, you turn in a different direction, but that overlap I still found is like, you know, it's, it's like a real thing. That's that's that I feel like, how do I put this? This, she could have been, I'm not naming any of my cousins, right. But she could have been like my cousin <laughs> or she could have been someone I took Chinese class with in my, mm-hmm. you know, undergrad education who went to business school afterwards and didn't do, you know, my like, liberal humanities phd right so there's like there's part of me that's sort of like 60 70% of this this kind of trajectory is like recognizable to me and obviously
0: but she has right. the same
1: trajectory as you she's an academic right yeah but you know, yeah, yeah but i don't write about like ethnicity <laughs> and development or whatever she does or i don't
0: right so that's not a 30% but,
1: difference there that's like well, a whatever well that's, well that's what i'm saying like you all are disavowing her and i totally understand why that is the case but it's also like you know a little bit overlap with ourselves you know right oh, but definitely that's, but that's yeah. okay to and I think that's interesting. people
0: who are who, like you don't have to dislike everyone who's like shares characteristics with yourself tammy, what tammy what do you think here's a question for you do you think that the difference between our read and andy's read is because we're korean and he's Chinese?
1: <laughs> <laughs> i thought about that
2: that's really funny we can't
1: actually know because we can't step in each other's shoes and do you think there's like, all, Maybe Jay, it's because go,
2: you and I are you and I are dilettantes by profession.
0: Yeah, let's go super. Let's go super. No, let's go super culturally essentialist. Is it just the Korean? <laughs> you know, is it Han? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh God.
0: <laughs> are we just? Do we just? You know, are is it impossible for us to accept? You know, good things or and <laughs> and sort of exist in this like comfortable world that you know and and love it in the way that amy chua does
1: now there's like fancy conservative korean law professors right like the guy at berkeley
0: oh yeah. yeah they're all john you oh god yeah.
1: i don't know how
2: famous... no, i mean i'm I sure some of my college is. friends are exactly are parenting in this exact fashion right i'm right. sure that's true right I'm oh not you think they are your college you?
0: friends are oh are i think for so, sure parenting yeah, i can
2: yeah. imagine a couple like again i won't name names but yeah but yeah, I feel this is very totally, far away from this universe now. So I, I
1: guess know. what I was saying, like, you know, the anecdote, like my my white friend being like, you know, this this horrible, mm. blah, blah, And I'm like, well, this is intelligible to me. Um yeah. and, and that's, you know, I guess there's like a natural defensive reaction. It's like, well, this is the part of like my childhood that I did not share with you. You know, my oh, my, yeah. uh, my, sure. my, my yeah. classmate. I feel like that too. Like debate. when I
2: I was regulated in the same way. Like I couldn't go to slumber parties. I had to do my practice. I had to do my homework. Like I also had a fairly strict upbringing, except that my yeah. mom had like three jobs, yeah. so she couldn't sit next to me and like observe like my Bach etudes right, or whatever. Right. But I think like, and and, and so the one thought it, in like Amy Chua's defense that I had while reading the book was like some better and morally acceptable version of this book would have been useful to like show a friend when I was growing up because i did feel very alone when i was growing up because it was hard to explain to people who weren't parented in that way like why i had all these rules
1: yeah uh, yeah that's why i think but a lot of asian americans second generation asian americans read this book
2: well okay but like the thing is again the package of it and like mm-hmm. her as I'm a human are so i dis- not
1: defending the book i
2: know but they're just like so <laughs> despicable that i like can't sure. get to that part where it's like useful
1: yeah yeah, yeah. i really think that but it- i hear you andy like well okay i'll say this this weekend inspired by this book i just like sat down with my daughter and told and just like wrote down the numbers she's four and a half so she can't she can't do math yet well she can do like counting but i was like i just i'm gonna teach you how to write the numbers um and i just told her we're gonna do this and she did it for two hours can't write the
0: numbers at four and a half what type of tiger parent
1: (laughs) i know exactly i'm sort of like but i'm sort of i was was like
0: can she read yet no oh my god is that bad Andy, yeah. what are, you're such a hypocrite here where is I know. this yeah well, <laughs> i've,
1: I've taught her many chinese characters so she can read some I would, oh, man. Yeah, so like inspired by this book i will probably <laughs> be more forceful with my teaching my daughter this stuff at home you know so, oh my I mean, god you worked
0: you should you should read you after. need to
2: read the, the last That's what third you can do of the after
0: book. you leave this podcast you can <laughs> sure. do a podcast with amy chua <laughs> yeah, um, the parenting. the, oh the um the i i actually thought that that line in the Book was quite funny, where she said, "You know, by three she could read Sartre." And oh my god, that I was, was kind dying. Of that was funny. Um, yeah, it was funny. She but
2: also, she, so.
0: she definitely has a sense of humor, and I can act. You know, I I know this from people. I don't know from the once again, this is also our world. Like I know enough people who have gone to Yale Law School who had her that actually that very quietly they all tell me, I don't know, she's kind of cool. You know, yeah. she's yeah. actually like, a sir, very a good. Teacher. She's like a very good mentor to kids are to students and everyone likes her and you know like it's weird because this is all true of her and yet like you know she also seems to just be such a troll which i think is kind of who she is she's a troll yeah who probably at her core is probably like if i had to pick like whether to hang out with her or to hang out with like you know the wokest, like, ethnic studies, prof- Asian American <laughs> studies professor. And I was like, the goal of the night is to just have a pleasant time. I'd probably rather hang out with him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this
1: podcast has gone in a weird direction. That is <laughs> so <grim. laughs> last 30 seconds.
0: But I would ask her, as like, what about this world that we occupy is so appealing to you? Like, aren't you disgusted by it? You know, like, by, like, the privilege and the fake credentials and, like, all of this, like
1: silly like all she this doesn't think silliness. they're fake i know well that's I think a she's probably a cynic too. she that's would say so like d- i get what you're saying but this is how the world is you know
2: Maybe. Like, I, I think she's
1: her, she's open-minded enough to everything you're saying
2: I mean, jd vance is like blurbing her latest book and stuff like that is her world you know like she writes she is now on it also all of her most recent books like she writes civilizational literature like yeah, she's she into this she these does. arguments around like cultural supremacy. But like anyway, most so people are like, you go troubling. like
1: next time you go to like some like family, right, but that family wedding or something. Right. People talk about like Asians. Yeah, and people by-
0: people think all, people think all sorts of stuff, you know, but I just, I, I have a hard time believing that. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I get why you want to defend her, Andy. I'm not because defending I can, her. I just think this you is You are though. you oh, are I think it's you interesting. Are. It's, You've it's consistently you defended are. It's her against, for the conversation. It's, it's good. Mean,
1: pod, yeah, it's, for the sake of debate, I am. But it's good, podcast yeah. <laughs> material that you're,
0: defend, <laughs> that you're defending her. It's good. Podcast, but
2: can the but can the two of you guys as parents like so? What is useful about the parenting in here that you could potentially use? Like Andy, you oh, said yeah. you were going to drill more or something, but like. How is this appeal like as a parent, I would I would think that this is a horrifying book to read. I mean, people T- Tammy, seem to like it
1: If you found out that, that like your kids' school is not teaching them math, like would you be like, that's okay? Oh my god, Andy's going
0: anti CRT.
2: Now you sound schools. like a freaking yeah, yeah, you, yeah no, I'm no, I'm saying like my kids' <laughs> yeah. school doesn't
1: teach her math. And I'm sort of like, when are you guys gonna teach oh, her they math? they
2: don't? Yeah, exactly. Well, why
0: don't you yes, but here's the thing, Andy. But she's
2: four, right?
0: You could and this is where I feel like the real thing is. You could put her in a school where they teach her math. You, know, you could take her to Kumon. One could say She's we are about
1: enough. to. <laughs>
0: right. But I'm just <laughs> saying that the second generation parenting is mostly angst about these things, but is not really action in these types of things. What do you right? mean? Right. Because in the end, you do want the kid to kind of live a uh, easier and less intense life than you did. You just feel bad about it because you like this is what I find with most of these uh sort of Asian Americans, especially those who have mixed these race Asian kids. Asian Americans. Okay. No, 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 who have mixed race kids, <laughs> Us. right? Um, that that there is this there is this sort of angst and wariness about the way in which the kids are doing school. My kids their school doesn't do math either, you know. But what they do do is they have a gigantic pride week celebration they learn all about civil rights heroes and they um and they like sort of learn a whole bunch of stuff about music right mostly black music like jazz or blues or whatever and wow. you look around and it's like the richest kids in berkeley
1: <laughs> you know? so did you actually sign sign her up for kumon this week
0: uh, i was thinking about it yeah But so then you have these thoughts, you're just like, fuck, you know, like uh, this is what this is basically a child that's being raised to be like a like a woke white rich kid, you know, and then but then you just think, well, I don't know, maybe that's just like the point of all of this, right? Like, would I rather her be like a sympathetic and interesting person who does care about stuff like Pride Week, who is who is sympathetic towards like trans kids that are going to start? Um, you know, that she's going to encounter in her life. Like, you know, all that stuff is important. And I don't think that it's like a white thing or anything like that. I just think that it's like a form. That's a form of parenting after you've reached the upper middle class. Right. Like that's basically what it is. And it's hard to escape because you're like, all right, I'm going to. I have talks about this all the time with my friends who are Asian up here who have kids. And one of the things always is like, should we move to like Fremont? You know and put our kids in schools with real asians right and that's the term that's always used like real asians right and but what they mean by that is like kids of first generation immigrants like we were 30 years ago right uh a lot of their parents work in silicon valley in like some form of like lower to middle management or 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 even just as engineers or whatever right developers and like would our kids survive in those in that atmosphere, or are they too soft? You know, like, that's the conversation that happens. At five? You think yes, it's already predetermined? it's so I
2: deranged. <laughs> it's
0: not. Tammy, I'm just telling you, I'm just reporting. No, it's, from, it's, it's, I'm, I'm just, just reported from the about streets. The I know, yeah, but exactly. that's really, <laughs> that is the conversation <laughs> that the happens, battle. I think. No, like, A lot I have, of Asian parents I have do the same, have that.
1: Damn. I
2: have wow. the same
1: thoughts, but I don't really worry about her, quote-unquote, keeping up or catching up. I feel like it's too young for that difference to emerge yet, but I do think, like, um, like, okay, so like we're gonna probably send her this fall to a school that does Mandarin immersion. That's like the only one in the city, on the assumption that, and I think the, most of the other students, well half of them, half of them are not Chinese, but half of them are like mm-hmm. second gen, you know, as opposed to third gen. Um, we is it are, a public school? It's not public. Charter. Thing. It's pre K, so it's everything is oh. private at oh, this right. point. Yeah. Is it a charter? There is a charter in the city that is immersion, but we're not gonna send her there. But we you were in the, well, I'll just give away my zip code. <laughs> we're, we're, we're close to a good school that part of the reason I found it very appealing was because it shares a catchment with Chinatown. And so it's like a 40% Asian school. Uh, but I will say this, it's not just about like some anxiety about math or like getting a good job. I assume, you know, if there are still jobs in 2050, she'll get a job, right? But uh, it's more about like like, I speak Mandarin to her. I've only spoken Mandarin to her like, with a little English since since yeah. like two or three years ago. And part mm-hmm. of that is, you know, part of it is myself, my own anxiety, whatever. But I think it is also like, I don't want her to be 18 and be like, uh, okay, I'm Chinese or I'm Asian, but I don't speak any of the languages. Why didn't my parents teach them to me, you know? Like I don't, and I kind of think that's what my parents were kind of doing with me a little bit.
2: Um, but why are you drilling not... her in math then? What um, is you the got to know math.
1: You well, just yeah, started but like, drilling her really math in math, Like this is
0: not something that you started when she was three, right?
1: Uh, I do. Like, I've been trying to do like basic arithmetic with her here and there, but nothing systematic. And no. this isn't going. This is not going to be systematic. It's just like, well, it's Sunday. It's raining out. Let's just do some stuff for two hours. but right. think it's nice to but for you to spend normal, time instructing your
0: kid on right. anything. I it's I think like that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's right. like. A, I think white parents do that too, but like, um, the one. I, uh, I'll, you know, I've been working for the, I've just this for the listener, Andy and Timmy you know, this for the last uh, nine months or so, I've been working on this documentary about Michael Chang and uh, it's re- it required me to have a lot of conversations with Michael Chang and his mother about how he was raised. And I did feel like a little tiger parent bump there mm-hmm. where I was like, oh my God, you know, like, because Michael Chang was like the greatest 14 year old tennis player in American history, basically. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, and he's cited was, in
2: this book. He cited in image. Right, right. Right. For I what? think they're
0: I think they know each other, but like um, world,
2: yeah. as, as like tennis is okay because Michael Chang It right, is an right, elite right, sport right, right, that isn't that embarrassing was, for Lulu to was, partake in. That was kind
0: of how Asian America understood Michael Chang <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. was that he
0: had been tiger parented to be a great tennis player, right? And that mm-hmm. you could even do that, which I thought was totally interesting. But you know, like Michael Chang's father would come home from work and would uh drill Carl, his brother and Michael every single day for like a couple hours and they mm-hmm. both liked it. Right. But, um, and it was like kind of this great immigrant story because they couldn't really afford lessons. So his dad would read all these tennis magazines and download the messages into his uh, or the instructions into his head and try and teach his kids that way. And it just turns out that both of his kids were like immensely talented tennis players, right. That mm-hmm. sort of had, had this thing, but, um, I so did, was it like a
2: Serena Williams, Venus Williams dad situation or...
0: A little bit, right. Yeah. Uh, but I actually very much so, I think, right? Um, mm-hmm. But instead of being in Compton, it was in North uh, San Diego County, right? And it's not like... This is not... They weren't a wealthy family by any means, but um, certainly mm-hmm. were part of the Y Shen generation that came over on Student Visa, mm-hmm. right? So right. Um, he's also of that world similar to... Well, not the same as amy chua but like about the same time right and so uh and i i would imagine i don't know how old amy chua is how old is she like 60 or something like that right yeah
1: because she be she's a tiger and that's 12 she? years and this year is the year of the tiger so it's 60.
0: yeah and her kids are like clerking a tiger park, mom is think.
1: not a real thing it's just because she's a tiger then she oh, invented the term yeah. well it's a yeah.
0: great ti- it's a great yeah. title i gotta give exactly. her that i'm that a boar, so boar father it's a it's a very good term, Tiger
1: Mom. we guys are dude. soft on her now. Like fifty minutes in this podcast, you guys. Are no, we're not. No, I'm not I'm soft not, on I
0: her at her. all. I I'm think saying, she's horrible. Like, I'm still, yeah, <laughs> I'm still disgusted by her. Like, I'm very disgusted. Genuinely she's just a good hustler. We're like, yeah, she's good at marketing
2: world. herself. Right,
0: right. Yeah, <laughs> right. we all do it. Right? Um, anyway, the point of my Michael Chang diversion is not to promote some documentary, but rather to just say that, like yeah when i got home from that andy much like you after reading this book yeah i was like oh this kid needs to learn to practice things because i think like in the end that's all it is right you just have to learn to practice things a lot and like that's a very good lesson in life and it can only be taught through drilling somebody yeah um over and over and over again which i was i did not have like the same i my parents tammy's met my parents my parents are a little weird you know like are they're not particularly typically they're way more chill uh asian parents yeah and so my sister and i were expected to have good grades and stuff but i just didn't right yeah. um but uh i don't think i had the same boundaries placed on me and so part of me <laughs> can't really relate to a lot of this you know
1: so if your daughter can't choose her hobbies what hobbies would you want to choose for her
0: Well, I told her that, well, I don't know, like she does skateboarding. And she she chose that? Yeah, and we practice and we go to lessons and um, we go to the skate park and stuff. And she's quite good for her age, you know. And so my thought was that we should just do this, you know, Hmm. like we can she can learn if she can learn a skateboard. I, this is a Jordan Peterson thing, embarrassingly enough. But you know, Jordan Peterson's like, let your kids sk- I can't do it, Jordan I know you're gonna try, but you know, he's like, Please let out. your kids skateboard. <laughs> um you know, they'll fall and they'll learn on their own and they the, it's bloody hard, god damn it, you know, like which is all true, right? Skateboarding is extremely hard, right? It involves a lot of uh risk management and it involves a ton of practice, right? And I think that if she can become good at that, then That'll be enough. Like she'll learn how to practice stuff that. She good. I don't know. Yeah, she's pretty good. Like um, for her for being five, yeah, she's pretty good. So, um, but that is actually my tiger parenting moment. But it is weird because it is like a sports thing, right? Which Amy Chua recognizes as being the white form of tiger parenting.
1: I think. Yeah. The other thing is, I feel like even ten years—it's only been ten years since this book came out. It's a little outdated already because I think a lot of Asian parents would still maintain some of the basic, you know, es- essence of being a tiger parent, but the examples would be different. Like it wouldn't be narrowly classical music. I think like yeah. sports are fine. Right. You know, right. right. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. You know, Linsanity. So no musical instrument for your daughter? Uh No, not yet.
0: Um But I don't know. I think in Asia it's not really <laughs> music either. I mean, I'm watching this K- Korean drama right now called Our Blues. Have you seen this, Tammy?
2: Oh yeah. yeah. I'm starting it now.
0: Oh, you are okay. Mm-hmm. I like it. Um, behind but yeah. the the main character. Wait, is it being discussed in our Discord?
2: I think a bit, yeah. But I think threat. people watched it a long time ago, okay. and we're behind.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> well, the main character in it is uh, this father whose daughter is in uh, America. He's in he's in Jeju, and his daughter's in America trying to become a professional golfer. Right, and he's like sort of given up his entire all of his money and his entire life to make to allow his daughter to chase her golf dream. You know, so um, you know, in, in in Asia, it's not just it, it's expanding right, exactly. too. Yeah. Right, so
1: that's because of the who is the famous golfer, woman golfer from Korea? Oh,
0: Michelle Reed. There's a free, but Michelle, Michelle Wee, is. yeah. Big and one. then, but there's there Ahri Park, right. Park. Park Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, I do, I do also think it's like I mean, maybe this is just my weird reading i was like well children's brains when they're young can get really good at stuff when and they can't do it later so you have to kind of make these choices for them right and it's sort of like it's almost again it's like investment logic it's like well you have to like invest at the right time and the payoff will come later and if you wait too long it'll be too late and all that stuff um it is very just like but i also i don't know i i i've been kind of on this for a while right like a lot of I don't know, like the, what you want to call it? The, the history or the cultural experience of Asian migration is very much like tied to an economic logic of like mobility and calculating and, you know, and I, that's that's what kind of resonates with me. Like the the, the the content, like we can talk about, you know, are Asian Americans like POCs or not, or are they white or non-white? Um, and I think at a very basic level, that kind of access makes a lot of sense. Um, but what's missing is like, the kind of another axis which is like a class axis that a lot of asian americans not all asian americans a lot of asian a lot of asian americans they're like experienced with quote-unquote asian cultures about economic calculation and mobility and um that that kind of that kind of like messes up this idea that like all pocs or all non-white people are kind of have solidarity with each other right there's a class difference um, so that's what I think this book is actually kind of useful for. It's kind of saying the quiet part out loud that what makes Chinese being Chinese-Chinese or makes being Asian-Asian is this kind of craven desire for upward mobility that might be in tension with an idea of like racial. like Yeah, but up- it's not that other liberals.
0: groups don't have access, yeah, I, I don't have a version. desire for upward mobility for their children. Like that's the offensive part of the book. Right? Like, no, she says at the very beginning, every single person wants their kids to have a better group. Yeah, she says stuff in the beginning, but then she writes a book about, you know, basically arguing that Chinese characteristics are what are, and Jewish characteristics are what are to attribute to this. And I don't think there's right. an amount of winking or whatever that she can say to right. say that this isn't that she's not saying that that is what she's saying. Yeah.
1: I, so I think she believes it. But I also think like and I know a lot of dumb Chinese people. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's a line about how, um, you know, she's like, well, Chinese pe- Chinese families have like three generations in one household. And that's right. why their families are more connected. And I wrote in the margins, like, "Are you fucking crazy?" <laughs> like, right. I know so many Chinese families that hate each other. You know, like right, I, right, I would assume they right. hate each other more. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, think, like, well, I think yeah. all
2: people are equally unhappy, right? That's yeah. a... uh, no, all but I, what, I, well, like, what, what you... I, go
1: ahead. Sorry, what? No, just just to clarify my thought on like, you know, there's the stereotypes about like Jewish or Asian cultural traits that are more inclined towards economic mobility and we can say like well that's false there's nothing culturally specific or unique about all that stuff that's true but what these cultural stereotypes are trying to do is take something that's really like the- really there in history right and just boil it down to something simplistic like culture um so as a historian i think this is interesting because you can peel back the layers of where do these stereotypes come from and there's like a history there that actually is worth probing and getting into um and yeah like th- like there is uh there is like a Global division of labor. There's a hierarchy around the world. This isn't to like say it's good or bad, right? But it's to say like that is something that's worth getting into that gets frozen in time with these ideas of culture and tradition. Mm. I don't know. That's just that's just my take on it. It's like we can use this as like a de- point of departure for something that's much more interesting than Amy Traw's actual book.
2: But when you say that Asian Americans are connected to or read through these economic lenses, like I think you've written about this before, Andy, citing Colleen Lai, right? As right, like, right. that's the way the model minority stereotype originates, blah, blah, blah. But are you saying something else about how second and third generation Asian Americans might actually relate to the first generation and their experience of coming from like East Asian tigers, seeing their home countries like changed? Or yeah. what exactly is it that is so like helpful about uh, that, I guess? Because I don't.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> what is helpful? Well, I think it is to just kind of refocus at a conversation around culture and race to one about economics. Um, So isn't to say like, so, you know, what people like an Amy Shaw would say something like there's white culture, there's, you know, I assume she was saying like there's black culture, there's Latino culture, there's Asian culture, and these cultures are the determinants of economic success. Right. And the historical materialist reading would be to turn it around and to say, like, no, there are these economic things that happened that have nothing to do with culture that later down the road got frozen in time and and sure. got labeled culture. Right. Um, and so, like, but I think real... even
2: like reading those like economic things as like expe- exceptional or like unique is like we can probably have a conversation about how like durable yeah, sure. that even is, you know? Yeah,
1: that's not. It's not. Right. But and
2: so then we're coming out two degrees from that. And that's why it feels very like.
1: Yeah. I mean, like the ultimate, the end goal of this is like some sort of universal view of humanity that any group, this or that, and because of this or that contingency, this, you know, Europeans got rich first and Asians are getting rich now and and so on and so forth. But um, I don't know. I think think it's interesting. I think it's, I don't know. I think it's an interesting way to kind of confront the kind of unspoken thing about um, Asian American culture that gets kind of brushed under or doesn't get talked about because of the kind of emphasis on diversity and multiculturalism. What's if that, that, that thing? That, you know, everyone is like equally, you know, diversity in itself is a good, like everyone is equally like non-white. So what's the thing that's unsaid? That that Asians, Asian Americans are kind of, uh, especially after like 65, right? Of The experience has been organized around economic mobility. Sorry, I'm getting a weird call on my phone. Right.
0: I don't know. I I I think... Yeah, I, I agree with you that there's a lot to, you know, that it is a good just jumping off point for a different discussion, but there are a lot of bad books that are, that is true of, you know, and I don't think that that really, like, it is, it is so fundamentally strange to say that what she is essentially saying is that basically some, some cultures want to be, have their kids to have better lives economically than they did, and some just don't, you know, and right. I'm just like, you know, like, fuck you, like, you know, like, that's yeah. the only response that you can give at that point which is just like fuck you you know and like what are you you're putting on airs in fucking new haven like fuck you like what what is that you know like it, it's just so offensive to me um That's it's fair. so like it's so like it's so blinkered in this way and it's so like i don't it's so like please why people love me you know and then this I- book and in some ways it's not really like that right like she's kind of like hey, white people, be horrified of me, right? Which in that way, it's kind of cool, right? But right. I don't know. I just find her worldview to be really sort of sad.
1: Um, I mean, you're going back to like the critique of the model minority myth, which is that it was very often like an anti-black myth, right, in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, because right? that's like, always Winham. like,
0: right, because then you ask, well, who are the cultures that don't really want to be right? mobile Like,
1: kids. I totally understand that argument, but the thing with that argument is also like that is still kind of sidestepping the historical... A basis upon which the stereotype gets broken down. It doesn't have to be about culture and morality of one group over the other, but it's still kind of sidestepping, right? It's still saying, no, Asian-Americans are just like, should have interracial solidarity with all of the groups, which as we've talked about throughout this podcast, right? is like not actually the reality. Like a lot of Asian-Americans are actually conservative, economically conservative um, because they came to this country to make money like Amy Chua and and her parents. So I that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but like, that- I'm not- I'm not defending her worldview, but I'm saying it's like, it's an honest jumping off point. Is that, is that fair?
2: I mean, I think it's fair to say that she lives in a cynical world where there's no hope of progress or solidarity. <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair because also when you say like, there is no shared solidarity, like you're describing a situation where that has become true because of a very variety of factors, but we are also making a prescriptive argument that in fact, something can be achieved I think, and I think she her- would never go there.
1: I think she her worldview solidarity have. would be like a multi ethnic Yale faculty. You know what I'm saying? Like it's about right. What she has? I, Maybe right, I yeah, don't I even don't. know. If, yeah. Well, I think what she's saying in this, I think what she's saying is, you could read the anti black aspect into it, but I think she's also saying like, Asians can be just as good, or, or or Asians on their own can achieve success. And I think she would, and I don't. know, I haven't read her other books or whatever, but she would also say like these other groups. Could also become successful if they follow these this, these characteristics, right? It's a sort of celebration of upward mobility
0: well, I, of success. No, it's not. It's like a, these people Wait. are degenerates because they aren't yeah, like me. Yeah, she's literally
2: like they are losers and failures, and like we're right. not.
0: They don't have. So they, I, they didn't. They didn't grow up with the same hunger, drive, and grit that I did, and that I'm trying to instill in my children, who, by the way, have every single privilege, an unimaginable privilege in life, which I'm sure she does. You know. Does doesn't chalk any of their success up to like up to that at all, you know? And it's just like, like what are you talking about? At some point, you're like when you say our cultures are good for success, you're comparing it to somebody who's not, you know? And like, I'm sorry, that's just right. Like in in sure, sure, right. That's what she's doing. Like, there's no oh, but if you were like oh, if you were like me. And you could do that. It's not because you're dumb or your IQ is low. It's just because your whole culture is degenerate. Like that's not a progressive statement.
1: That's no, I'm not, not saying it is progressive. I'm saying it's liberal, right? It's, it's like this. Definitely it's, not this, liberal. I think it's liberal in the sense yeah, of like a multi, like... like a cosmopolitan, multicultural I... capitalist elite. Asians, okay. Asians join the capitalist elite this way. You know, as she's like Jamaicans do it this way, whatever, whatever, right? Like it's about it's a defense of elitism. It's a defense of hierarchy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that sucks. Right? No, I'm not saying it's good. Right? Yeah. Like, I'm not saying it's good, but
2: you're not saying it's good, but you're yeah. Saying but you're not it's
1: saying it's bad accurately. either. You're like trying. Yeah, you're to, saying. You're like, trying I'm to like. I'm not sure what you're, you're saying.
0: Trying to do a tight line here and say like. I'm just oh, saying, there's well, yeah. a lot
1: of Asians who think this way, and this is like the this is like but worth thinking we... about.
0: First of all, I don't okay. think that they're. I, I I really don't think that Asians are like that. The vast majority of Asians sit around and think about. I don't know about the vast majority, Culture all the time, you know. I'm or not like sure about the vast to majority, rich but I think a lot cause... do.
1: That's what I'm saying. This book is resonant in that sense because I think I know a lot of people who think this way. I think it's
0: resonant with you. All right, um, Tammy, final thoughts about this. <laughs> well,
2: book? one thing I was going to ask you guys is we've talked on the show before about like Asian and Jewish or upper class white like intermarriages, and I'm curious what you think about as you're raising like mixed race daughters was that mixed race aspect, like at all part of your reading of this book or what sort of light just might this book like shed on that experience?
0: Mm, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't really, I, I think that, that, that there, that this thing that Andy was describing where you want your kids to have some form of culture that you feel that you were deprived from, I think that's a very real thing, and I think that that she tried the best that she could given how difficult that is, right? And so for that, mm-hmm. I do sympathize with her quite a bit. Um, now, whether or not that's violin or something like, I don't, I don't know, you know. Or, but I think that 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 aspect of culture is mostly language, right? It's not, it's not like grit or you know, we try hard because we're good, right? And and the others are bad. And so I, I think that there is like a form of that that's fine, but I didn't really find too much that was interesting about her form of parenting just because it's so different from mine, you know, I'm like pretty chill about most things and uh, maybe it'll In be In her cultural if,
2: conflicts with her husband, have you guys experienced that? Because no. she's she's also talking about like her husband as have representing quote unquote Western yeah. I mean, her style husband seems and then having her conflicts. husband honestly
1: just seems really chill and is just like letting her do whatever she wants. But right. I do think I relate to when she says, you know, as we like she discusses like these schools just want kids to choose their own hobbies, but you have to like tell them what to do and make them work hard at it, and that's the only time they can ever feel like. There's part of me that's like, yeah, that's true. Like you can't just let a four-year-old choose how she's going to spend her day all the time. Um, yeah. And yeah, like I've had conversations where, well, I, okay, I don't know. I don't want to give out, like, I, I've seen friends and family in Asian white parenting situations have debates, you know, about how hard to push your kids yeah, and sure. how much to sign your kids up for and all that stuff. And again, that's not cultural. It's, you know, it could easily be the other way around. Um, I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, th- I think part of this book is just very much occasioned by this experience that I think a lot of Asian Americans, second generation go through, whether or not they marry a non-Asian person is just like, you, you know, you spend your, from your teenagers onwards, you're kind of defining yourself almost in opposition to your, not opposition, but as distinct from your parents. And then in your twenties and thirties, when you just begin to think about life or have kids, it forces you to kind of think about how much of your parents experience do you want to retain and keep going. Um, in a weird way, it's like, you know, I feel like I defined a lot of who I am in opposition to my parents, but because it was in opposition to my parents, it also retains a lot of my, that experience of my parents, and I don't want to lose that. Um, not necessarily to, and, and yeah, there's okay. kind of those, this temptation to sort of reproduce it consciously or subconsciously. Um, so I, yeah, I, I kind of agree with Jay, like this is mostly a document of a second generation Asian American mm-hmm. who's kind of lost, or not lost, but she's. I mean, she obviously feels very... Very content with who she is, but she but she was searching for that yeah. for that balance of her parents versus the world of her her world.
0: Here's my question about it, though, Andy. Most of the overscheduled kids, or the kids that I would consider overscheduled, where they have like five billion different things they have to do. Most of the kids that I know like that in my life are white. You know that okay. actually, I don't like. I don't.
1: Like doing what stuff though?
0: Oh, everything from ballet, musical, musical lessons to um, sports, everything like that. Like The most overscheduled kids I know are white, right? And I think that part of that is because their parents feel some precarity. But I also think some of it is that their parents are white, but they also have similar immigrant paths. But I don't really think that the way that Amy Chua raised her daughters is actually reflective of anything Asian except all the shit that she made up because she doesn't know what she's talking about when it comes to Asian stuff, you know? Like, oh no, two daughters of Yale law professors are playing the the violin and like have extra tutoring. Like who would have ever thought of that? Of course, I'm sure a lot of the white kids did, right? Like, so what are we talking about at that point except this and this is where i do find the book interesting because i always one of the things i find very interesting is people inventing culture yeah it's like that fraternity story i wrote where the kids like made this whole hazing yeah. ritual around like some sort of like scraps of whatever they could find totally. that's what amy chua is doing here right like she's inventing an asian parenting thing that isn't true right like the and that she the way that she enacts it to her children is through like saying horrible shit to them all the time right but there's nothing fundamentally asian about this or chinese about the way that she's raising her kids right there's something very upper middle class about the way that she's raising right. her kids and like the asian part of it is maybe 10 percent, right but right. like that 10 percent is like this weird construction that she's made and when that type of thing is done no matter how charmingly and funnily it's written which i agree she is very charming and funny Like if the end result is like, oh, actually this thing that is fake, actually it's real. And actually all you degenerates, like you should learn from this real fake thing that I made up, like, come on, like what are we talking about at that point, right? And that's where I start to hate the book.
1: Um, Tammy, (laughs) as someone who has been in like music at high levels, in your experience at the highest levels, like is right. there an overrepresentation of Asians? Yeah,
0: first of all, I, wh- what are we talking about uh, here? So, yeah, first of all, Tammy was an ethno musical. <laughs> like, there's all this stuff I'm learning about Tammy. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, so okay, so I, yeah, I wish I, maybe I, maybe I wish a little bit that I had had a parent who had drilled me this way, but I definitely grew up playing piano and violin and like going through a very similar education process that she describes in the book, although at a lower level. Um, The one thing, so like one thing historically is like, so orchestras were famously like discriminatory and they were basically populated only by white men for most of classical music, Western classical music history. At one point there was agitation because there were, there was a desire to introduce more women into orchestras. And so they started doing blind auditions, but the blind auditions ended up actually supporting Asian entry into orchestras. So that's just like one historical note that. Has occurred. but like why um, but like why uh, is that? not affirmative action though it's like no, it's right the opposite. Opposite of affirmative yeah. yeah that's the thing that was kind of funny about it. Um, and so yeah so like one one sort of sociological thing about like Asian Americans in, in orchestras is like first of all just like promotion of Western classical music as like an elite good you know in their home countries um, also patterning after like Jews in mm-hmm. Western countries. And they're, you know, they're, they're, um, because there's, there's also like a, a long history of like Jews in classical music. Right. And but they're not going to be Asians like, we're going to copy generally, the Jews, Like replicate it. Right? Like, what, well, what are no, they I mean, themselves? Well, no, I actually think a lot that that is a lot of a history oh, of Asian America okay. also that we, I'm in sure, fact, right? we are copying like stuff that Jews do in America. No, I know. But like, like that was they... always like.
1: Is that the conscious thing or are they just like, they have a different story they tell themselves that happens to th- follow in the pattern? I mean, I of- think
2: it's probably both, right? That That is like market, that is like seen as like an elite cultural good that you too can attain through like right. this practice that everybody has access to in a sense or something, right? right? Um, but anyway, so yeah, I mean, I do think there are definitely a lot of Asians and diasporic yeah. Asians in classical music, like undeniably. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, like yeah. I think I was lot, shocked though.
2: at how much of this book was about classical music. Yeah, like it's like ninety yeah. percent of the book. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, the other the other ten percent is about dogs.
1: I know. I was like,
2: yeah, I hate
0: I hate both
1: of these things. <laughs>
0: there's Pushkin. so much stuff about her dogs. I don't know. And that's i have obsessed like... with
2: the Samoyeds. So
1: okay, so I I misrema- <laughs> well, I don't. In my mind, this was actually more about, and this is like my own childhood. Um, mm-hmm. It would be. I thought it would be more about math as because yeah. I remember, I, I'm not like very good at math or anything, but I remember my mom, that was the one thing my mom actually pushed me on, um, which was like making me memorize multiplication tables very young. And then she like checked my homework through high school, uh, like, f- you know, freshman year of high school. Mm-hmm. And I remember my uncle telling me many years later, like, that's because she can't help you with English or history right, or anything else. Right. As a, as a, as a first generation parent,
2: um,
1: and, and also like this general idea, like engineering would be a good job or something like that, right? Yeah. And so- That's the I,
2: classic line around like Asian American pedagogy, right? That like- Yeah, exactly. Rote memorization as me- instilled exactly. by people who don't necessarily have access to language can do this. And so, classical music is similar in this exactly. sense because it's muscle memory.
1: So I, I would feel like if you talked about classical music or math and science, there is on the one hand, like we're going to be skeptical of any cultural essentialist explanation. But on the other hand, there is like, some sort of data out there that it, that looks interesting. It's like, why is there overrepresentation in these fields? And maybe there's a historical explanation that's not about culture and race or whatever. Right? But like, that's that's interesting, and that that's not. I think that's we shouldn't ignore that. Like, that's actually something worth probing into. I guess is what I'm saying. Like, it's interesting to ask why are there so many Asian Americans in classical music or overrepresented in classical music, right? Sure, like, I guess right? so.
2: Maybe I don't find the answer that interesting. I don't I know. I don't
1: find the answer that interesting either. I, think I mean, I think also I, I have this
2: it's memory of the same of reason
0: like, why there's a lot of yeah, Asian ahead. Americans in uh, figure skating now. You know, it's just like a bunch of people in California started training their kids to be figure skaters after Michelle Kwan and Chrissy Yamaguchi. And a lot of them became very good, you know? And um, I don't know. I don't find that
1: to be- You don't find that interesting?
2: Yeah, I, don't, I guess I don't either. I mean, I story? think like.
1: You want to write a story that about be, that? Well,
0: I, I Aren't did you doing a story about, about it. an My Asian tennis Andrew player? It. Yeah, but it, I'm not making a culturally essentialist. That's what I'm documentary. saying. I'm, I'm, I'm saying
1: you can undo the cultural essentialism through history. No,
0: you can't. You can't do, undo but the cultural like essentialism kind of when uh, you're asking a arguments. culturally essentialist question. When you're like, why are all these people successful? You're like, well, there's very obvious reasons for that, that everybody has litigated in Asian America since like the 1970s when people came up with this idea of the model minority, right? Like that's, it's like, sorry, we had a little bit of technical difficulty here. Tammy, before you froze out, I was asking you, like, do you do you think that there's a dearth of Asian American uh, discussions about Asian, Amer- or not even, do you think there's dearth of explanations or investigations of Asian American success?
2: I guess I don't. I mean, I understand Andy what you were saying about how like we need to take her cultural essentialist argument and be like there are probably other factors to explain these phenomenon, but I I sometimes feel like even those factors that we those explanations that we then come up with still feel like they they fall back on some sort of cultural essentialism or some sort of cultural supremacy argument, and I it's very I don't know it's uncomfortable, and maybe I also think like sometimes we're yeah, just kind of asking the same questions over and over again. I don't know that it's that interesting.
1: Fair. Okay. I would say I'm not making a, a cultural supremacy argument.
2: No, I um, know you're not. Right. I hope not.
1: What I, yeah, That'd I, be amazing. And, it gets, the next pod. Yeah, <laughs> and it gets like, canceled oh on his <laughs> last next podcast. What a finale.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> With Finn <laughs> Shapiro or something. Um, okay. I guess one way to frame it is, um, so like I said, like, whenever I was reading Amy Schwa, I was like, you know what? There's a part of me that's like, I've gone down this route of doing like leftist, economic, whatever, like academic stuff. But mm-hmm. like 80% of the way, like I probably followed Amy Schwa's route. And I have like friends and colleagues and cousins or whatever who were like with me through the undergrad part and then went to like business school and did something else. Right. And so there's a part of me that's sort of like, we this is worth confronting and thinking about um, because I also kind of think like to the extent that I am someone who studies and thinks about, you know, capitalism and economic stuff from a leftist perspective, like part of what made me that far is becoming from a family that is like very calculating and bourgeois and upwardly mobile and cares a lot about money and class and things like that. Right. And I can like criticize them and tish them for being too materialistic or whatever, but it's like, you know, this is actually like a long history of like leftists who come from these families um, and are of these families or are of this world. And then they, you know, for whatever reason, come to this decision to be like a critic of the system, but are also of that system. And so I was thinking like, it's actually a lot more honest, not for everyone, you know, like not everyone is kind of relates to Amy Schwa, obviously, but for like a middle-class, upper middle-class Asian American or immigrant American or middle-class person in general, it's worth kind of confronting and thinking about one's class position, honestly, um, rather than, and in a productive way and beyond discussing privilege or discussing allyship um because i think those types of politics are organized around uh supporting leftist arguments in spite of one's class position rather than because of one's class position um and i don't know the argument for why one who is like of a certain like upwardly mobile bourgeois background should become a leftist like i honestly don't know the answer to that but i feel like that is something that I've been thinking about for a while, and um, I think that doesn't get addressed very often. So, I, and so I just as a starting point for that, I think it is useful to kind of begin from a recognition that there are these class dynamics. Um, at least, and in my particular case, it would be like a sort of an Amy Schrabel book. I think brings those class dynamics to the surface, even though she doesn't think that's what she's doing. But I think that's what this book is doing, right? Is bringing out this like what you can would you consider Asian identity as really class identity? Um, and yeah, I don't know. I find, I, I, so I, I find that more useful than a sort of Asian politics organized around victimhood, organized around solidarity and so on and so forth, which is like a nice ideal, well, not, not victimization, but like solid, racial solidarity. That's a nice ideal utopian, like, you know, whatever, but like that doesn't resonate with the majority of Asian Americans I know. Yeah, but right? the majority of Asian Americans aren't reading Amy Troy either. It's true but i do think like what she is talking about is resonant for a lot of asian americans
0: right, right but i mean look i did a lot of reporting on yukong zhao who is a guy who was heading up the asian portion of the anti-affirmative action thing he read this book called uh five chinese secrets to success right okay and um you know i talked to him quite a bit you know over a period of time i even grew to kind of like like him like you know not i don't like his politics in any sort of way but you know like you spend enough time around somebody and you have enough meals with them and they show you some vulnerabilities and you kind of find it harder to see them just as like a quote right in a story but you know like i ended up you know like there is a moment where we were outside of the courthouse and in harvard or in boston right during this trial and he's standing there with one of his friends who's part of it part of the thing and he was like his friend was like listen i'm from miami you know i know a lot of latino and black people and they just don't care about education as much as as we do you know and like yukong starts kind of giggling and making sure that his friend is quiet he's like no don't say that don't say that in front of you know and like look is that how many Asian Americans think? Sure, Andy. Yeah, you know. Is there a meaningful, good politics that you can build out of that type of thing? No, right? It's just racism, you yeah, know. I and like, like to thing. try and say that, like, you that we should like somehow meet these people where they are on this specific point, and that Amy Chua is interesting because she's. I, I actually don't know what you're saying, but like, if that's what you're arguing, <sighs> then know. like, then. Uh, but that's sort. Uh,
1: then, what are your? No, arguing? I'm saying it's really not it. about cultural explanations. I think it's about class that underlies cultural explanations.
0: No, sure, that, I think but you're saying this with is that, also class what, politics. We agree, sure that, but that, but that type of work does exist. It's been done. Okay, right? fine. Yeah. And I
1: think, and I think it's interesting, and I think it's worth confronting that because I think a lot of leftist politics is about disavowing like But then,
0: when what do is you the do from minority that? stuff? When, then I don't know.
1: That's a good question. I don't know, and I think this is like the question that's like always been the question. Right? Like why would why would someone of a certain class position uh join become a leftist in spite because of their class rather than in spite of their class? Because if you're asking people to disavow or do things in spite of their class, that's not sustainable. Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, but like but you can't you can't compromise on basic things like, oh well it's fine to be racist and you know, basically th- no, I'm serious. I just, so, that's not what I'm saying.
2: But I don't know why uh, Amy Chua's I, observations right, are necessary know. to arrive at this conclusion. I mean, okay, so basically, she's saying think, like Asianness. Her idea of Asianness points to some sort of economic fantasy, and a lot of people are invested in that fantasy. Okay, right,
1: right. But then, yeah. like, and I think and it was a is, bestseller, and it's like the most mainstream version of this argument. It doesn't have to be. But her. I think that like, like, to me, unintim- then, like,
2: okay, that we have like a serious problem because a lot of people are interested in like civilization, civilizational discourse that is like fundamentally like racist. And like, where do you go from there? You know, and I, to me, it doesn't point away like it, 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 it like confirms the fact that like we have a problem on our hands. Yeah, we
1: can have it we can have a debate. But about I don't know what we can escape it. I, I again I would say like as a professor, I would like teach this book and I would say, you know, if we kind of pick apart what she's saying, what she thinks is actually about culture and race is actually about class. So why don't we have a conversation about class instead, which is a more productive way about but going, even her going her characterization about these
2: of class is like fundamentally problematic. No,
1: I'm not, I'm not saying so. hers, I'm saying like we as readers of her book, we as students or we as professors can pick it apart. I think could...
0: she is like a useful idiot. The book is like a yeah exactly like this is why we read this now. stuff. But anyway, right? But <laughs> yes. I don't. I also think that her understanding of like that would be more true. I think if she was Yukong Xiao, and she was a recent immigrant, and she was suing Harvard and Columbia and every other school in the country, and if she had written a book called Five Chinese Five sure. Chinese Secrets to Success," if she was an actual Chinese parent, um, now she is a Chinese parent, right? But if she was like an immigrant parent, like maybe that would be more interesting. But I think that her, her, like her story is not, is not for actual, like the real Asian America, whatever that means. Her, her story is for second gen, rich, rich Asian Americans who have already, who, you know, do have like the thing that you're talking about. Why isn't there like a examination of this? Like the model minority conversation has been happening for 40 50 years it's like that's what this that's what that conversation is
1: well okay from an outsider what it seems like a lot yes, yes there's that conversation and i'm not saying this is unique so maybe it's just, just about continuing that conversation but I, again mm-hmm. i think a lot of the conversation is about disavowing the model minority stereotype rather than confronting its material basis right? what's the difference a disavow would be like well we're not all model minorities. like i'm not good at math blah blah, blah like that kind of right For as opposed to like maybe this model minority stereotype points to something about the class dynamics of immigration and so on, right?
0: Oh, I don't think that I don't think that's an accurate portrayal of it. Tammy, what do you think?
2: You don't think that that's an accurate portrayal and that people are also contesting that right now and have been, or
0: I think people say that there is that I think when they talk about the model minority myth they're not saying i'm i'm not x right i think what they're saying and and not all right but some many are saying like uh i reject the way that america is structured to help me succeed you know right
1: i think like rejecting and disavowing et cetera, like that's fine that's like a moral politics right but i'm more interested in like a historical explanation of like how did this, how did this come to be in the first place and therefore going okay, forward. I,
2: no, I mean I think yeah. there is plenty I think there is a very ripe conversation around that that like there are reasons why a lot of skill, you know, because skilled immigrants came in and people have access right. to resources and stuff. I think I feel like that exists and I don't need Amy Chirp to help with that.
0: The last thing that we want to talk about in this show is that Andy is leaving. This podcast started in March of 2020 or April 2020, and sorry, because I was had been talking to Andy, who I didn't know at the time, um, a little bit about the NBA and-, uh, and debate. And Andrew and Yang. Debate. Yeah, and Andrew Yang. Yeah, that's right. And of course, I had already known Tammy. And so we decided that we want to do a podcast that was about the coronavirus and Asian people. And now we're at like 140 something episodes, which is insane to me. Oh, um, yeah. And uh, honestly, like maybe too many. and. <laughs> Um, but it's been a great experience for me personally. I think it's been for Tammy and Andy too. And we're very sad that we're losing one of our founding members, a very important part of our group. Um, and Andy, I wanted to say to thank you for being on the show for so long. I know that you're a busy guy and that it was sometimes difficult to schedule, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, I think that, uh, these conversations the past few years have been helpful for me. They've been thoughtful to me, and anytime you want to come back on the show, of course, we said this last episode too that you're always welcome. Um, you know, uh, and um, you know the show will not be the same, but the show will continue, and uh, Tammy and I will figure something out in your absence. Uh, but you know, I don't think that for any of the listeners or for us at the show. The show will be diminished with your, with your leaving. Um, Tammy, do you have anything you want to say?
2: Yeah, I think that you said it really well, Jay. Thank you. And yeah, Andy, obviously I really value you as a co-host, but also you're a new friend in my life um, and your family too. And so, um, Yeah, I'm going to miss you. Now I don't have a defense against Jay, you know, and like (laughs) (laughs) the triangle energy is very strong on our show. So we're going to have to adjust that a little bit. Um, I also just wanted to shout out the listener feedback we got. Um, A lot of people wrote in to say that they really appreciated Andy's quote perspective and thoughtful attention to the podcasts and the topics you've all discussed. Um, other people wanted to shout out all of the academics you brought on and the books that you've cited. It's led to a lot of reading groups proliferating in our Discord. Right. Yeah. Um, it's wild. And then finally, we had um, one listener say that um, she recently saw you on a video and realized that you're hot. <laughs> <laughs> she said right. also yeah. don't
1: read it on air, but I guess you <laughs> it's not. It's okay. We're not naming
2: so. her. Um, <laughs> So yeah, thanks a lot. And just a couple of questions. Um, so somebody wanted to know if you could talk about something that where your opinion has changed after something we've discussed on the pod. Um, hmm. Another easier question to start with is um, astrology. What are your sun and moon and blah 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 signs?
1: <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I saw that. Like, what is how does how does one dis- discover your sun and moon and all that stuff? I don't
2: know. What I'm is your Sagittarius?
1: Okay, I'm December, a Sagittarius. S- December 6th and I'm a uh, this is like crossing cultures I'm a pig I'm a boar
2: that's You're all I bore. know you a okay alright yeah
1: <laughs> can, can you do that can people figure that out
2: I think that might be enough I actually have no idea how to do this um,
1: <laughs> changing my opinion about something
2: um,
1: I mean just in general I would say that you know as crazy as this might sound like before I did the podcast I never publicly talked about anything Asian American in my life like it's mostly conversations with friends Um, Mm -hmm. and so just to even have these conversations with you all, um, has like, it's not, it's not just like, Oh, it forced me to think more about this stuff. It's also like connected a lot of dots in my head about stuff I've been thinking about it. And like, from a different perspective, you know, in my, in this field of Asian studies, and it's kind of, I think in a weird way, I feel a little bit gaslit in my field in the way that race and Asian immigrant asian diaspora art does not discussed and people will like people are going to push back on me and say it's not discussed i will say my experience was always like don't talk about it no one told me not to talk about it but it was mm-hmm. just like an uncomfortable it would be uncomfortable to talk about um because of the conventions of the field which is predominant, predominantly just like white americans or white europeans studying asia um and there is a kind of under under discussed hierarchy is too strong of a word but I mean, there's a you know, there's like a old boys club, just like in any field, right? And the old boys club was always like a sort of Ivy League, East Coast, white people studying Asia thing. And I think doing this podcast and having an outlet to talk to you all about a lot of these issues has been therapeutic in a lot of ways because it's I was I feel like I was kind of going crazy, and I'll probably go back to being crazy, being in the ivory tower, where it's like very hard to have real conversations with people. So yeah, I really. You know. I I I would say like that was like and it's like I don't I I don't wanna come off to any listener as someone pretending to be an expert on Asian American stuff. I didn't do I haven't studied it formally or anything. Um so I don't you know, if someone studies Asian American studies and feels like I'm some interloper in the field, like obviously I'm not trying to do that. But you know, this stuff is real, it's personal, it's stuff I've thought about consciously or unconsciously for many years and I think i I subsequently and i I guess in the end i I think doing the podcast has helped me feel more confident in that opinion and that perspective that um you know it's okay to write something that's more personal e- even in academia or not in academia um and to like not kind of you know i mean one thing I picked up from just like even reading like you're all writing um you know, like long-form pieces or short pieces. Like you can be self-referential and 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 just like that's okay. Uh, no one's going to stop you from doing that. Um, and you can talk about the real world. Talk about stuff that's happening in the 21st century, which you know in history is obviously <laughs> not not literally what you're supposed to talk about. But you can like start from that premise. Like let's just be real. Like we're 21st century people. We're not. Yeah, I don't have to cosplay as like a as a buttoned-up suit from Harvard in the 1950s, which is kind of the voice that yeah. you are constantly reading and constantly Im- imitating but out of out of habit. Um, I mean, more broadly, you know, just to give my own thanks, like thanks to Jay and Tammy for giving me this opportunity to talk about a lot of the stuff in public. Uh, we've, as we've talked about offline, like, but, all, you know, for listeners who pay attention to Twitter, there are a lot of academics who are thirsty for having an audience beyond, like, their, their 20 students. And I don't think I'm thirsty or anything, but I did understand, like, this is – there's an opportunity slash responsibility to talk to a wider public, a wider audience than, than in academia. And that's, um, certainly like I was very grateful for that. Um, I mean, hopefully like, you know, I'll continue to do so. Um, I would love to come back, you know, um, when, when, when the time is right, you know, if, if there's a good occasion to do so. Um, but, uh, so like, I don't take that for granted. And I think, um, it's like uh, it's 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 very hospitable the way that you all have kind of tried to bring bring me but also just like all the guests right in, in a conversation that that's kind of accessible to the public you're not monopolizing the public sphere um, in a way that you pro- you might feel kind of tempted to because you do have such a privileged position to talk you know for your you know for your like big publications and so on. Um, so I don't know I'm, I'm, I'm like I feel super grateful and I, as I said last week I have like very mi- very many mixed emotions about this. Um, um, it's gonna be kind of yeah. weird <laughs> you know, yeah. next week. Um, but I'll also <laughs> say like I really want the podcast to go on until the two of you uh, you know until you die basically because like I do think it I, I do think it's a really it's a really important space and I was very proud of being part of it, part of like being able to contribute to it. And, um, I don't want it to be like the end of anything. Hopefully, like I assume you will have, you know, better, better co hosts or better guests than me, to, uh, from here on out. <laughs> so I don't, I don't want, I don't want it to sound like, you know, this is the end of anything.
2: Okay. Thank you. Good.
0: Yeah. Well, we <laughs> feel similarly and you're, uh, as I always said, you're always welcome back, uh, if we find another co-host, then, um, then that will be a provisional or well, whatever. I mean, I mean, know, what I like. Well, that would be harder, but you know, until we do, you're uh, always welcome we- back, and we can have you on as a guest to talk about all sorts of things, including. Basketball and stuff like that when it comes back, or if we talk about China or something, then you'll be back. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine you'll still be talking to people on our Discord server and yeah. stuff like that. So <laughs> sure. you'll still um, be part of the community.
1: Yeah, provisionally, we're also thinking for New Yorkers, Tammy and I, we might do a sort of, I guess, the second annual <laughs> picnic um, in a couple picnic. weeks. So. We'll put out information for that. So, you know, that could be a celebratory you know, end of welcome to summer. It's kind of late this year. I think it was in April or May last time, but a picnic in New York in a couple of weeks. Cool.
0: All right. Well, well, on that note, thank you for listening to our show. Everybody, if you have a uh, last, if you have like goodbye messages to Andy, send them to him on Twitter or email the show at time to say goodbye, pod at gmail.com. If you would like to support the show um, going forward, it's, goodbye.substack.com for $5 you can get a range of benefits including access to our Discord server where Andy you can still talk to Andy because I'm sure he'll still be around there talking to people about basketball or <laughs> or, <laughs> or whatever so um, I'm incredibly yeah. stressed out because it's one day for Game 5 oh yeah <laughs> I forgot that that game <laughs> right. um, okay well Andy Thank you for your time for these past two years and um, on behalf of me and Katie, And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys.
2: Bye. Bye.